You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com sermons. Good morning. Good to see you all today. Today, if you'll be opening your Bibles to John chapter 14, we're going to take our reading from there, John 14, familiar passage to us where Philip asked Jesus to show the apostles the Father. We'll look a little bit at the background and why he might ask that, and also what that question reveals, even uh, uh, though he might not, uh, Philip might not have been meaning <clears throat> all of that, but he did <clears throat> reveal several things. <clears throat> Our study on Thursday night is also going to be uh, a look at being shown a thing. On Thursday, if you're able to come to our digital study, in Galatians 3, verse 1, we're going to take from that text uh, what Paul said, where he said, uh, Christ was publicly portrayed to you as crucified. So we're going to talk about the way that Christ is shown to us in the preaching of the gospel. And so today we're also looking at how uh, the Father is shown to us in the work of Jesus. So uh, seeing the work of Christ and seeing the Father sort of themes this week for us. Of course, we also have our Wednesday night study, Luke 3, where we're going to have Luke presenting to us the life and of works of Jesus, and particularly as we look at his genealogy, his humanity, all going all the way back by uh, generations to Adam. All right, so John 14, John 14, beginning verse 1. Jesus, as he's about to go uh, back to heaven and, uh, and leave them with the comforter, the counselor, leave them with the spirit, and going to have them fully prepared, as he'll tell them in the next chapters, he tells them to start off, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am going, there you may also be. And you know the way that I am going. All right, so we'll, start, we'll stop there just briefly. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. The King James uh, sort of, uh, I think, messes, misses a bit when it says mansions. Uh, there are lots of places in my Father's house to stay. We've got plenty of rooms to spare. There's room for you all. Of course, in the temple, literally there were rooms to stay in, in and around the temple, and there's some arrangement similar to that. Uh, in the Father's house in heaven, there's plenty of places to stay. Uh, I, the old Stamps Bacter song of, you know, I, I, I want a mansion, uh, and I want it, you know, gold with silver lined. I'm not sure that Jesus here is, is offering to take, you know, a request on your mansion type, uh, and then later he'll send the uh, other angels by to get your interior request, and then you get the cabinetry and the... Uh, the other woodwork and other accessories as you like. I'm not quite sure that's the idea here. But he says, I, I'm going to go and make sure that when we, when we all get there and I'm going to come back and take you myself, there is plenty of room for all. So Thomas, I, I, Thomas says, he said, Lord, uh, where are you going? He said, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus just said, you know the way. And Thomas says, Lord, I don't think we do know the way. 
Have you ever been with a person uh, who is going to take you to a place and they're confident that you know the directions? They're confident you know how to get there. And they're like, yeah, just meet me there. It's like, yeah, you, you know how to get there. And like, uh, I'm not sure I do know how to get there. Are you sure that I know how to get there is what Thomas says. And so Jesus says, yeah, you do know the way because I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now, this is a, one of those uh, idiomatic expressions in, uh, in the Hebrew way of speech where I don't think he's telling us that he's three separate things. He's the way, full stop, period. He's the truth, full stop, period. He's the life, full stop, and period. I don't think that's what he's saying. Uh, you can make a case that he is all of those things. But I think what he's actually saying here is I'm the way of true life. So, so one of these, each of these modifies the other. It's not three separate things, but one thing, he's the way of true life. And so if you want life, you're going to come through him. He says, no one comes to the Father but through me. So yes, you do know the way because you know me. You follow me, you're on the way of true life. He said, if you had known me, uh, uh, you would have uh, known my Father also. But now, from now on, you know him and have seen him. And so I'm the way. Uh, the true way of life to go to the Father, and if you would have recognized that and really known who I was, you would have known better who the Father was. So that's when Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Well, I guess so, because <laughs> how many people have ever got to see the Father? It turns out there haven't been a few, uh, and it was a great um, uh, privilege uh, to know the Father like that, and uh, it, it was something that I think that Philip here is hoping the Lord will repeat uh, based on Old Testament incidents. But Jesus says, look, it's not necessary in the way you're meaning it for me to show you the Father. Because I really have already showed you the Father in the way that I've revealed and conducted myself. So verse 9, Jesus said, how long have I been with you? And yet you have not come to know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father... How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. So he says, if you really knew me, you'd really know the Father. And so from now on, you'll know the Father. And how's that? Because uh, when Jesus, after this is accomplished, this next day or so, as we're now at the <clears throat> evening before the crucifixion, when you see that, and then uh, when, you see, when you see the things that are coming, when you spend these next hours getting my te uh, te uh, teaching, when you go with me to the garden, when you, when you see what happened with the crucifixion, and then you see the resurrection, you're going to have a great deal more knowledge and you will have seen the Father and you'll recognize the Father in the things that are done. And so this request that you have to, for a direct show of the Father, that isn't necessary. It's not necessary to be done, but uh, in some ways we might say Jesus would say, uh, but thanks for asking, because we think about this request to show the Father, we might ask, uh, who else would you have asked that to? Who else would know in the history uh, of uh, the, the people of Israel 
the, God's working uh, uh, with uh, people from Adam onward. Who would you ever ask with an expectation of being fulfilled to show us the Father? And so there's a great deal of power and honor implicit in just the request to be asked to show that. Because uh, not, none of y'all have come here today and said, hey, Jay, show me the Father. Now, that might be because y'all don't know the Father. But I think it's more likely, you know, I couldn't do it, right? And, and if somebody came to you and said, show us the Father, uh, what could you do? You couldn't do much with that. Uh, the one thing I could tell you is I can tell you the story of Jesus. And someone says, show me the Father. I say, well, let me tell you the story of Jesus, and we'll get to the Father through that. But that's about the only thing I can do is take you to the gospel and take you to the story of Jesus. Because the only other thing I can do is tell you my own story. And any of y'all be interested terribly in that? Not a one. No, I didn't think. Okay. I was afraid of that, but I thought I'd ask. Everybody's got their own story. And your story is about is worth as much as mine. And I got people I can make listen to my story. I got kids, and one day I might have grandkids, and I'll be able to make them listen to my story. May not be able to make them pay attention to it, but at least I can make them sit while I give my spiel. But I, I can give my story, but what's my story worth? Well, my biographer might be interested. I, I think one day there'll be a big demand for my biography. I think it'll appear on the Amazon, you know, uh, search rankings, book sales. It'll appear right there on that list. Have you ever seen that list of Amazon book sales? Yeah, it goes into the millions. So somewhere down in the 17, 18, 19 million range, I'll be, you know, mine will be down there. I don't expect it to be very high. But no, my story's not worth that much. And, and, you know, I hate to break it to you, but your story's not worth that much either. Most human stories aren't worth that much. But there's one story that's invaluable. Let's tell that story. Let's tell the story of Jesus. And so nobody's asking me to show them the Father. No one's going to ask much of me of anything at all, and I don't have anything valuable to tell them at all, except to tell them the story of Jesus. But Jesus got asked some things because of who he was and how he conducted himself that no one else uh, has ever been asked. Um, in Matthew 4, the, the temptation, we'll, we'll study this from Luke's gospel on Wednesday. On, in Matthew's gospel, we have this, Matthew 4, verse 2. After he fasted for 40 days and nights in the wilderness, he became hungry. And the tempter came and said, if you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Jesus had the power, had the position, and, and people knew enough about him. And here's just the tempter who, who, who knew uh, enough about him to ask him to misuse his miraculous power. I guess that puts you in a small company when you're asked to misuse your miraculous power. How many of y'all been asked to misuse your miraculous power? Well, no, that, that does not come up much. I mean, how could we even be tempted by a request like this? But he was. Or I like this one particularly. In Gospel of Luke, in chapter 13, after Jesus healed a woman who'd been bent over for 18 years with a sickness, bent over and couldn't get straight at all, Jesus said, woman, you're freed from your sickness. And that's a lovely story. And like most uh, miracles, uh, miracles have a beneficial and merciful effect. Uh, for the person who received them. And also, miracles have the, the confirming aspect of, you know, listen to the one who can do the miracles, because that's part of the power of miracles. But, you know, most, most miracles have something of a parable or something of an emblem in them. 
Uh, there's, a, there's kind of a, a larger story being told in miracles. And here is a woman in the synagogue who's bent over double and can't get up straight. And isn't that the people of God here at that time? Isn't this Israel? How, they're in their synagogues, but what are they? They've been over and they can't get up straight. And without Jesus' help, who can, bend, who can straighten up and get straight? And so Jesus frees her from her sickness. He puts her hands on her. Immediately she's become erect and she begins to glorify God. And one of the synagogue officials becoming indignant at the whole outfit says, There are six days when work shall be done. Therefore, come and bring them during to them to be healed and not on the Sabbath. And so uh, who is it uh, that's ever been, uh, had the complaint leveled against them? Uh, you have healed too many people on the Sabbath day. That's kind of a unique problem, isn't it? Because of the power of Jesus. So here's the power and mercy of Jesus. And his enemies didn't like it. And one of the few complaints they could make about it was, you're healing people miraculously at the wrong time, sir. You need to come back and do that on Monday. <laughs> healing hours, 9 to 5. No, nobody else faces this problem. But Jesus does. Or uh, going back to John 2, we won't read it, but we know the story. Jesus' first uh, miracle, uh, when they ran out of wine at the wedding, and who do they ask? Jesus, why don't you do something about this? I tell you, most of the time when y'all run out of stuff, uh, you don't ask me to miraculously provide it, do you? Now, sometimes I have been asked to go get some extra ice from the store or the whatnot, uh, but uh, nobody ever uh, asked me that on the basis of I could make ice because, uh, uh, well, that, th there are limits to my kitchen skills. If you give me enough time, I can make ice. I have the recipe down. Uh, it's one of the things I've memorized. I can make ice. Uh, don't look at my ice maker right now to check uh, my, ice, my ice drawer. But anyway, no, I can make ice, but I need a little time, and I need some equipment. Here they run out of wine, and Jesus wants to do something about this. And so th all of these things are based on uh, implicit trust in the power that Jesus has. Or in Luke 8, when the storm is too strong, and we could read this uh, uh, type of thing a couple of times from the Gospels, where the disciples are in a boat, and uh, there becomes a, a fierce gale, uh, some kind of great wind and wave and storm. In this case, in Luke 8, 23, the boat was in danger of being swamped. And they came to him and woke up and said, Master, we're perishing. And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and the surging waves. And they stopped and became calm. Uh, I've been caught in the storm before. We all have. And how many, how many people ever ask us to make it go away? No one. No one ever asked us to do anything about the storm except for the smallest of our children when they were the most naive, right? Because maybe they thought mommy or daddy had the power to do something and what they quickly learned. No, there's limits to even what your mommy and daddy can do. But in this case, with Jesus, there's no limit. So this, this request, this request, show us the Father, is a request like these others, and we can multiply these, where you would only ask Jesus, and doesn't that tell us something about the one uh, who loves us and gave himself for us, the, the one whom we have placed our faith and our trust, that whatever it is that we're facing, when it comes time to ask him in faith to help, what can he do? He can help. He can help. And so nobody would have ever asked me any of these other questions. And, and, and uh, at, the, at the hour of trial, in the hours of darkness and temptation, the hours of death, uh, the hours of bereavement, uh, the hours of loss, uh, the hours of just indecision where we don't know which way to go, uh, 
who says, hey, I need to call Jay. And if you did call Jay, what would you be hoping to get? Not Jay's answer, but what? An answer I might help you uh, provide from the scripture because that would be the only help I could give. And that's really the only help any of us can faithfully give to anybody else. And so let us know Jesus. Let us trust Jesus. Let us turn to Jesus. And let us have such faith. Additionally, this request of Philip is parallel to an Old Testament incident, which I think, it, at least I'll just speak for myself, that I had overlooked and I had not seen. And, and one of the things that is, is I've learned over the years, slowly, probably too slowly, learn more Old Testament, learn more of the Psalms, learn more of the histories. What you find is that there are uh, short or sly or uh, brief mentions of things or allusions to things of the Old Testament and the New Testament that if we, don't, if we aren't familiar with the Old, we don't know that that's a reference. We don't know that that is uh, an allusion to a thing. There's one of the uh, semi-popular podcasts that I listen to. It's three guys talking to each other. And uh, uh, they're always forever, especially one of the guys. Uh, he knows everything. Like pop, his, his knowledge of pop culture is just amazing. And there's all these uh, movies and TV shows and references and things. And, and he'll drop in a, a sentence from a movie or he'll make a, a brief reference to a thing. And when the other two people on the show don't respond to it, uh, he kind of in a pedantic fashion goes, hey, guys, that was a reference. And then they'll try to figure out if they knew it or not or what it's from. And then if they haven't seen the movie, he'll chide them for not knowing the movie. But the amount of popular culture knowledge that this guy has just seems almost encyclopedic. He's not a guy you'd ever want to play Trivial Pursuit with. But when you run into Christians who know the word, uh, then uh, there's things like that about their speech and about their conduct where the Bible is in it all the time. Right where there, there'll be a turn of phrase they use, which maybe you didn't realize it. They are paraphrasing a psalm, or they're quoting a psalm, or they're they're referencing a a thing in uh, in the Old Testament. And if you aren't very familiar with the Old Testament, you might miss it. I think that's often true with the the accounts of the Gospels. There's much more Old Testament reference than we always realize. But one of the places where this has been exhaustively researched, and I happen to know. So I'll use that as an example, is, for instance, in the book of Revelation. Uh, it's said in the book of Revelation there are about 300 either uh, quotes, paraphrases, or allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. Now, when I have studied the book of Revelation, I've seen an awful lot of them. I don't know if I've got quite that many. So maybe the person who came up with 300 is more knowledgeable than I am, and, and that's probably so. But there's all these, there's this world uh, this Bible world that these people are immersed in and these uh, Jews of the New Testament who, you know, where did they learn to read? Mostly in the synagogue. What did they hear read every Sabbath? They heard Moses and the prophets read every Sabbath. These people uh, were living in a world of the law uh, in the Old Testament uh, far more even than we as New Testament Christians, I think, live in a world of Bible. They, because they didn't have any competing things. They, they didn't have any talk radio. They didn't have any internet. They didn't have any magazines. Uh, they didn't have any television. They didn't have any cable. They didn't have any movies. And so today you think about how people 
you know, constantly, uh, like these younger folks, with their, well, they, they know the backstories to all these comic book characters, right? And, and they know, like if it happened in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or the associated TV shows, or in the associated paperbacks, or in the associated comics, or, you know, they, they know it all, right? And then there's like one, there was one, I don't remember if it was Star Wars or Marvel, but probably to my benefit, I don't know. But anyway, there's one of them where a certain factoid was, is a promotional thing, was released inside the, the, um, uh, the, the game with the little blocks, Minecraft. There was a, they, were, they released a factoid about this universe, which is like an important point of plot. They released it inside of a Minecraft event. And it, this is where everybody who's non into this, their eyes just completely glaze over. But the people into that world, they know all these things, right? And, 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 and uh, they'll look at the trailers of movies and they'll spot things in the, you know, in the background, uh, the, the, in third sight. All right. These people of the gospel times they were immersed to that degree in the Old Testament. And so that comes out in the way they think and the way they talk and in the things they look for. And so in this case, I think there's a reference to what is to most of us, and it was for me to a long time, kind of an obscure and, well, kind of weird event uh, uh, in Exodus 24. So in Exodus 19, in Exodus 19... Moses showed uh, the uh, Moses brought to the people uh, the law of God. So he brought them to the holy mountain, right? He brought them to the holy mountain, and they got to hear God's voice. And so Exodus nineteen twenty three, and Moses said to the Lord, "The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us saying, set bounds of the mountains and consecrate it." And the Lord said to him, "Go down." Uh, and come up again, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through, even to come up to the Lord, lest he break forth on them. So Moses, Moses went down to the people, and he told them, he told them what God was going to do. And so they stood in their right place a little bit far off, and they assembled before the holy mountain. And in Exodus chapter 20, then God begins to speak to them. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You will have no other gods before me. And that's our first commandment, right? No other gods. And then we have the Ten Commandments given. And after reading through the Ten Commandments and giving them, we'll skip down to verse 18. It says, And all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning and the flashes, and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. And they said, you know what, that's enough. We can't take any more, more of God speaking directly to us. So they said to Moses, speak for us yourself, and we'll listen. Do not let God speak to us, lest we die. And Moses and the people, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come in order to test you, uh, in order to see if you'll do what he says. And so God spoke and revealed himself directly. This is the beginning of the law of Moses with God giving the commandments, and then all that follows, okay? So God reveals himself, and God speaks through his own voice. And really, that's very parallel. That's very parallel to what happened with Jesus, right? Because what had happened just shortly before this, at the Mount of Transfiguration, wasn't there the testimony of God's own voice? This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And so God's voice speaks from heaven. Doesn't happen very often, right? 
In the Old Testament, how often does God speak from heaven? It ain't much. In the New Testament, how often does God speak from heaven? Baptism of Jesus, Mount of Transfiguration, that's pretty much it. Jesus speaks to Paul on the road to Damascus, but that's some years in the future. All right, so God's voice speaks from heaven. When does that occur? When there's going to be a big change. There's going to be a big change. But notice the next thing that happened. After Moses went, up, went back up on the mountain and got the law, notice Exodus 24. And this is kind of that event we don't know about, but these people would have known about. And I think they're actually, maybe, maybe there's actually referencing this in asking Jesus to show them the Father. So we get to Exodus 24. After Moses got up the mountain, got some instruction. And so Exodus 24, 1, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, and you will worship at a distance. Now, that's the Nadab and Abihu of, of, of fire fame, right? They're going to get roasted later. That hasn't happened yet. And so, uh, bring them, and we're going to worship. Moses alone, however, will come near to the Lord, but they will not come near, nor shall the people come near. And Moses came, and he recounted to all the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances, and the people all entered and said, all which the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and with the twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent the young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrifices and young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people and said, All the Lord has spoken we will do, and will be obedient. And so Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people, and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the seventy of the elders of Israel, and they, this is, where, this is why we've read all this, verse 10, and they saw the God of Israel. They saw the God of Israel. Moses showed them God. Under his feet, there appeared to be pavement as of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hands against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they beheld God. And they ate and drank. Now, when the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and remain here, I will give you the stone tablets of the law and the commandment which I've written for instruction. So, it's the blood of the covenant. It's God speaking from heaven. It's Moses bringing them the law. It's a direct access to God. They ate in the presence of God. Now, this is John 14, right? What's John 13? It's the Last Supper. What has Jesus just been speaking about? The blood of the covenant, right? Jesus just spoke about the blood of the covenant when he uh, talked about giving them the Lord's Supper. He's talked about blood. He's talked about this new way. And so we have a parallel here in many ways and I think that, that these people, in their knowledge, the, the apostles, in their knowledge of the Old Testament, I think they're seeing the parallels. And Moses brings them the, the, the instruction. Moses brings them the blood of the covenant. Here Jesus is speaking about, has been speaking about his death. 
and he's just given them the Lord's Supper and talked about the, 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 his blood, which is for remission of sins, and the covenant that he's bringing. And now comes the question, is it time to see God? Well, in, in Exodus, it was time to see God, wasn't it? Now, what are the apostles actually going to see? The apostles are going to see the crucifixion. That's what they're going to see. They're going to see that display of God. So, again, it's a parallel to this incident back in the Old Testament. And, again, they, the apostles, in asking this, are asking, basically, Jesus to do what Moses did. Does Jesus do what Moses did? Well, he does more. Moses had great sacrifices offered in the presence of God, and they got to see God. Jesus, the next morning, he's going to bring great sacrifices too, right? But what's the sacrifice? He's the sacrifice. And we're going to have God there with them, uh, but uh, not what they see and, and worship in the presence of God, but God's going to have the sun blackened. Uh, God's going to have uh, some saints raised. Uh, God's going to have the, the veil torn. And then in a couple of days after that, after the three days in the tomb, Jesus is going to come back from the dead with a vindication uh, of all that he's taught and done and show that this really was the work and will of God. And so uh, Jesus, and my device here just decided not to work. Jesus, in this case, is going to demonstrate and show it's not necessary to, like Moses took him on the mountain and, and had him dine in the presence of the Father and see God. Jesus is going to show him that the Father, having the Father there isn't necessary because Jesus is the exact one. He, he is, as he told them, is if, they, if they've seen the, him, they've seen the Father because he was the express image of his person. That's uh, Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse 3. And as we uh, find out uh, from 1 John chapter 3, there's a great love which the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And for such we are. For this reason the world doesn't know us because it does not know him. And so there's a knowledge that we have of, of, of God through Jesus uh, that is, is more intimate uh, and more full than just as if we saw God. Uh, the, uh, the Jews, when they were with Moses, they saw God. But although they, they saw his glory and they got that law that revealed uh, him to them, how much of God did they still not know? But how much did uh, the apostles, and then through their teaching, the disciples, and now the, those who believe that teaching, all the believers, how much do we get to know of Jesus through the teaching? And so it's not necessary to have that direct view of the Father like the Jews had, but we have a better view and a more intimate view in the mind and the care and concern of, of God through what Jesus did. And Jesus, as he would constantly say, and we won't read all those through the Gospel of John, but Jesus will constantly say, I don't speak any of my own words. I speak the words of the Father. We'll just read the one, the first one there, John 14, 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own initiative, but the Father who's abiding in me, and I do his works. 
And so that's why, you know, his enemies would say, never did a man speak like this because he spoke the Father to them. And as Jesus would say here, he said, even if you don't believe on account of my words, believe on account of my works. And so Jesus does miracle after miracle. And then, you know, just shortly after this, from what he says to the apostles, as shortly after this time, he'll be raised from the dead. And so there can be no doubt that Jesus is the power of the Father. Uh, Jesus, as he would say, is one and equal to the Father and working with the Father. And he has shown the Father fully to us. And so what do we find? Is Jesus says to his apostles, look, there is, uh, there's places prepared. There's places prepared, and I'm going to make sure they're ready. I'm going to come back and get you and take you there. And you know how to get there. And they go, hold on, do we really know how to get there? Yes, you know how to get there, because why? I'm the way there. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so you want to go to the Father? Come along with me. And then one of them says, show me the Father. He says, you know, that doesn't need to be done either. You know me. You know me. So we find this intimate knowledge and this uh, every reason to trust, every, every reason to believe in the power of these things by the constant miracles uh, that Jesus did, and then the great vindicating and proving miracle that all, the resurrection of the dead. And so we see the love of the Father, uh, we see the grace of the Father, we see the provision of the Father, and all the things that Jesus did, and we have the way home assured. And so, what's the way? Well, it's Jesus. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There in verse 6. All right, with that then, Concluding our study of show us the Father, we see that what we need is to know Jesus, to trust Jesus, the one with the power to show the Father. But in this case, he'd already demonstrated all the things of the Father that need to be demonstrated. They just hadn't realized it yet. And he would complete that work the next day in his death and his burial and his resurrection. And so let us be about showing people in the same way, uh, telling people this story of Jesus. Let us be about telling them uh, the story of the one who showed the Father so that other people may come to know him as well. All right, with that, we'll close. And we ask this morning, if you need to come to the invitation, come confessing Jesus, who has the power and the love and the concern for us, uh, the one in whom we can truly place our, our trust and faith and to salvation. If you need to come to him confessing him so as to be baptized, or if you need to uh, confess your sin to return, we offer the invitation as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.